Turn to Matthew 5. Last week we began a series on the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are Jesus' teaching on how you and I as believers can live a truly blessed life. And Jesus begins each one of these teachings with the word blessed. You'll remember I told you that word blessed means something way beyond just being happy. Happiness is dependent on what happens to us. Blessing is when we have an inner tranquility that is not affected by external circumstances. I define blessed as a divine delight. And so much of what Jesus taught in the Gospels can be summarized by this phrase, I think. The way up is down. I think everything Jesus taught was so counter to what the rest of the world believed and to what even people today believe. And he, he taught us that the way to get up is, is down. Let me give you an example. Matthew 23, verse 12, Jesus said, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The way up is down. When invited to an important function, here's what Jesus said. He said, don't take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have also been invited. And if so, the host who invited both of you may come to you and say, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take a seat of lesser importance. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, let's move you up to a better place. And then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So let's move then to the first of the Beatitudes. Let's stand in honor and reverence of the reading of God's inspired, infallible, and errant word. It's Matthew chapter 5. Remember, the multitudes have come to hear Jesus teach. He's gotten the disciples together. And verse 3, he says... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father, I pray now that we would begin to understand uh, that in order for us to move up, we must first recognize our own poverty. And in doing so, we will then recognize your true greatness in our lives. And we pray now that you would teach us that through your spirit, by your word, in Jesus' name, amen. We live in a very unhappy world. Somebody said, unhappiness is not knowing what you really want and working yourself to death to get it. Not knowing what you really want and then working yourself to death to get it. If you and I are going to live a blessed life, then we need to understand that we don't have to work for what we want and you can't actually buy it. It's a gift. It is a gift of grace. That's what you would want if you had sense enough to want it. The will of God is always 
what you would want for yourself if we just knew what, what, what it was we wanted. We think we know what we want, and so we pursue all of those kinds of things, but what we really want, what we really need is a gift of grace from the hand of a loving God. The word poor in that verse refers to somebody who is destitute to the point of begging. This is not just somebody who's, who we would say is poor. This is somebody who has absolutely nothing. This person is destitute to the, poor, to the point of begging. And Jesus uses that same word in um, Luke chapter 16 when he tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And he says that Lazarus was a poor beggar. So what Jesus literally is saying in Matthew 5, 3 is blessed are the beggars in spirit. Now, how in the world can a beggar be blessed? They're blessed because they realize that they must have spiritual help from outside of themselves. Being poor in spirit means that you and I acknowledge that we are spiritual beggars. It is Romans 3.23, and that describes our spiritual poverty. What does it say? It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you and I realize that we are poor, if you and I realize that we really are beggars in our spirit, Jesus says, ours is the kingdom of heaven. So to be blessed in the way Jesus uses this term means that we are to live our lives under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We must have an anointing upon ourselves of God's Spirit so that we will recognize our own spiritual poverty, understanding that we are dependent upon God for everything that we have and all that we're going to get. When you think of the kingdom of God, there are three things that you need to remember. You need to remember first the sovereignty of God over everything. God is sovereign over all things. It's his world. He created it, he rules it, he governs it. Nothing happens in this world. I told you last week, I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in chance. I don't think, I don't think things happen by coincidence. God is sovereign over all things and he allows things to happen in our lives. The second thing you need to think about when you think about the kingdom of God is that the salvation of God that is given to you and me is totally, 100% by grace alone. It is by the grace of God. And the third thing that you need to remember when you think about the kingdom of God is this, the spirit of God who is the one who performs that transformation in our lives to change us from the old creation to a new creature in Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who is at work in our lives. So when you get saved, and, and we all talk about this doctrinally, we say we believe this, that when we get saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence where? Inside of us. Well, if that's true, and it is, then what you need, when you think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God then is brought about by the spirit of God who lives inside of us and who is the one who performed the transformation that took place when you got saved. So Jesus is teaching something very important right here. If you are poor in spirit, then you recognize your depravity, you recognize your desperate need for God, and when you come to that place, that is when the Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin. 
when you and I feel totally lost, when we are totally without hope apart from Christ, it means that we've finally come to a place where Christ can rescue us. See, otherwise, you're going to think you did something. You're going to think you contributed something to your salvation. You're going to think you contributed something to the kingdom of God, and you contributed nothing. It is totally by the grace of God that you have been saved. And so I have to understand my depravity. I have to understand that I am in desperate need of God. I have no hope apart from Christ. God is looking high and low over all the planet for people who recognize that they're weak, who feel they are insignificant. He's not looking for strong He's not looking for the one who thinks he knows it all and needs nothing. He is looking for those who understand their true need in life. So let me give you three requirements. Three requirements for being poor in spirit and becoming a blessed beggar. Here's the first requirement. If you're going to be blessed, as Jesus talks about, poor in spirit, you need to stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Being poor in spirit is the exact opposite of being prideful and arrogant. In the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel, Jesus tells the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And you remember both of them go up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee proudly stands stands in the prominent place in the tabernacle so that everybody can see him, and he thanks God. He says, I thank you, God, that I am not unjust, I'm not an extortioner, I'm not an adulterer. And then in, in the 11th verse of Luke 18, he looks around to see who else is there, and he casts his eye upon the publican the tax collector, and he says, and God, I thank you, I'm not like him. I'm not like that tax collector. I'm better than he is. I'm more spiritual than he is. And so the Pharisee goes on then. I mean, it doesn't just stop there. He goes on to inform God, Lord, I fast twice a week. Now, the law only required Jews to fast once a year. They only were supposed to fast or only had to fast on the day of atonement. But this man stands up and says, Lord, I do far more than what you even asked me to do. I fast twice a week. That's a hundred times more than the law even requires. He goes on to tell God, he said, not only do I do that, but I am uh, great because I give tithes of everything that I have, not just my income. The Pharisees tithed on everything they made, even down to the herbs in their garden. Now, we've got a rosemary plant that I didn't set out. And so if I was going to be pharisaical about that thing, every time we pull off some of that rosemary, I'd have to to count a tenth of that and give that back to God because not only do I have to tithe off all the income that I have, but I even have to tithe off the herbs in my garden. And so he tells the Lord, I'm going beyond. I'm not just doing what the law tells me I need to do. I'm going beyond that. But he had a problem. 
He had a problem. And Jesus said, he can't enter the kingdom of God. You know why? Because he was unable to admit his own spiritual poverty. He couldn't stop comparing himself to everybody else. Of course, the tax collector goes to the temple to pray. He's a scoundrel to start with. He's betrayed his own people. He's working for the dreaded Romans. Uh, We'd compare him to the pimps and drug dealers of our day. And Jesus says, he stands far off and he won't even lift his eyes toward heaven. In other words, he comes into the church and he won't even come into the sanctuary. He stands out in the vestibule. Because he says, I'm not worthy to even go in here. So he stands out in the vestibule and he has his head bowed low because he feels unworthy to even look up. He feels unworthy to even come into the worship center. And he says one sentence, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said he goes up to his house justified unlike the Pharisee who was tithing more than he needed to, who was uh, 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 praying more than he needed to, who was fasting more than he was required to. And that surprised everybody when Jesus told that story that that the sinner, the tax collector, the publican, he goes home justified. That means right with God. He went home right with God. Now, why did that religious, fasting, tithing Pharisee, why did he go home unjustified? Because he thought what impresses people is the same thing that would impress God, and it doesn't. He thought God grades on a curve. He thought he was okay because he was morally better than everybody else. And that is the whole point of that parable. So easy to become self-righteous when we compare ourselves to other people. Somebody said the worst of all sins is to be conscious of none of our own sins. Self-righteous people think they're better than everybody else, but they're disgusting to God. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. You know, we like to talk about that word abomination. We love to use that when we're talking about sexual sin and we say homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord and it is the Bible says it is but it also says that everyone who is proud in his heart is an abomination to the Lord though they join forces none will go unpunished so in order to be poor in spirit stop comparing yourself to everybody else here's the second thing In order to be poor in spirit, stop counting on your performance to impress God. Stop counting on your own performance to impress God. Why is this beatitude the first one? Because being poor in spirit is the first prerequisite to receiving the rest of the blessings that God has for you. If we think we're righteous... If we think we're righteous because of the good things that we do, God can't bless us. Doesn't matter how often you go to church. Doesn't matter how much money you give or how often you read the Bible. It doesn't matter how often you fast. It doesn't matter how often you pray. Even though all of those things are good things and we ought to do them. The lesson is there will be, listen, a lot 
there will be a lot of moral, religious people in hell. Our performance is not what impresses God. Augustus Top Lady wrote the hymn Rock of Ages. And it expresses it exactly right. He says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. John Piper said this about spiritual poverty. He said, it is a sense of powerlessness in ourselves. It is a sense of spiritual bankruptcy and helplessness before God. It is a sense of moral uncleanness before God. It is a sense of personal unworthiness before God. It is a sense that if there is to be any life or joy or usefulness, it will have to be all of God and all of grace. So you have to realize Comparing yourself to others and trying to impress God uh, with your own works and the things that you do, that's not going to lead to a blessed life. So what is? That's the third thing I want to just examine for a minute. If I'm going to be poor in spirit, now I'm not suggesting that we all uh, walk around in sackcloth and ashes all the time and, and, uh, and act like we're you know, there's a, there's a fake humility. You've seen that as much as you've seen the pride on the other side. You see a fake humility from time to time. Interestingly enough, when Jesus gives this first beatitude, he uses the present tense verb to describe what happens to the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's not theirs will be the kingdom of God. It is theirs is the kingdom of God. In other words, you can experience in your life right now the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, being poor in spirit is going to improve our relationship. It's going to improve our relationship with people around us. When we're poor in spirit, we stop trying to act more important and more successful than other people. We no longer try to impress people with who we are and what we've done and what we have. I taught this to my children, trying to teach it to my grandchildren, and it's this. Nobody likes a braggart. There are some people who are so impressed with themselves when they walk in a room, they start handing out their own resume. They can strut sitting down because they want people to know who they are. They want people to know what they've done. They want, to, they want people to know why I'm more qualified to do whatever it is everybody's trying to do than you are. When you're poor in spirit, you begin to understand that your relationship is not about who you are and what you can do. It's about who God is and what God has blessed you with and allowed you to do in your, room, in your life. Being poor in spirit improves our relationships because we finally come to realize we don't always have to be right. You know anybody like that? Don't shake your head. Of course you do. They always have to be right. They always have to have the last word. They always have to be the head of the show. There are some people who think that what they bring to the table is infinitely more important than anything anybody else has to say or do. And yet those who are poor in spirit realize 
that the two most important words that you will ever utter out of your mouth are, I'm sorry, or I was wrong. And that does more to improve relationships than any amount of knowledge. That does more to improve relationships than any amount of money. Being poor in spirit will improve our relationships with one another. We pray in the model prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As a believer, what you and I are supposed to be doing is we're supposed to, as best we can, usher in the kingdom of God on this earth. How are things done in heaven? Perfectly. Instantly, whatever God wants, that's what God gets in heaven. And we are to pray. Jesus said, this is a model you're supposed to pray. I pray that your will would be done on earth the same way that it's done in heaven. The kingdom of God is not just a future pie in the sky uh, idea. Jesus says, when you are poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Now, it'll improve your relationships you're poor in spirit it will also create in you an attitude of gratitude why because you'll finally come to realize that you don't deserve anything you and I don't deserve anything people who are sport, who are poor in spirit don't whine and complain because they realize that they have more in this life than they really deserve amen yeah you have more than you deserve I do too Everything I have belongs to God. Those who are truly poor in spirit practice what Psalm 103 verse 2 says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. How often do you sit down in a day's time and just pray and thank God for the benefits that he gives you? How much of our prayer life is spent telling God what we want, telling God what we think we need, telling God what we want him to do. And how much time do you and I actually spend sitting there blessing the Lord with our soul and forgetting none of his benefits? I, I challenge you this week, take a, take a legal pad and a, a pen and just start writing down, what are the benefits of God in my life? What are the things that God has done? What, you might as well start with the fact that you're taking a breath. You don't deserve that. Nothing we have. Those who are poor in spirit spend time every day thanking God and remembering all the wonderful things that God does for them that they don't deserve. Being poor in spirit improves our relationships. Being poor in spirit creates an attitude of gratitude. Being poor in spirit opens the door to the power of God in your life. Pride and arrogance block the power of God in our lives. Humility. Humility is what opens the door for God to work in and through us. And those who are poor in spirit realize that they don't live in their own power. They rely on the supernatural power of God. James chapter 4, verse 6. James says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace 
to the humble. There are four kinds of grace that are mentioned in the Bible. There's saving grace, that is, you are saved by the grace of God, by faith alone, through Christ alone. There's that saving grace. There is empowering grace. It is the thing that gives us the ability to do all the things that God wants us to do. There's sustaining grace. There is the thing that enables us to live in this sinful world, and God sustains us by his grace. And then the fourth one is refining grace. And refining grace is only available to those who are humble, those who are uh, poor in spirit. That refining grace is only available when we humble ourselves and recognize that nothing that we have is of our own doing. It is all of the blessing of a sovereign God in our lives. And so when we humbly admit to God, I don't have the strength, I don't have the power, God begins to release his grace into your life. And he begins to work in you, and he begins to work through you. Being poor in spirit is the way you get God's attention. Brokenness, humility, is that is evident when you and I realize we don't have any bargaining power with God. How many of us throughout life have tried to strike a deal with God? If you will just let this happen, or if you will just keep this from happening, or if you'll just do this, or if you'll just do, then I will do this. Like you have a, 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 some kind of bargaining power with the Almighty. When I humble myself, when I rely on the power of God and the grace of God, and I recognize that nothing that I have has come by my own abilities, it is all by God's grace, that is when the Holy Spirit of God begins to work in me and I begin to see miraculous things happen in my life. Not because of anything I have done, but because I got out of the way and let God work and do his work in and through me. Does that make sense? You see, you ask for mercy when you don't have anything to, to give in exchange, you don't have anything to offer. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Why? Because I don't have anything to give to you. I'm not worthy to receive anything that you've given to me. Lord, have mercy upon me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And when we finally get to a place where we understand our spiritual bankruptcy, it is then that God will give us everything we need and more. Because we have finally submitted ourselves completely and totally to him. So this morning, you can't broker a deal with God. You don't have anything to bargain with. You simply have to come to him poor in spirit. You have to come to him and seek his mercy. You have to seek his grace. And when you become poor in spirit, Jesus says, you will be blessed. If you're lost this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your uh, personal Savior, stop being so defensive about that. Stop trying to explain yourself. Stop trying to uh, excuse yourself. 
I don't need to do that or I'll do this later or whatever it is that excuse that you use uh, to try to keep people from talking to you about your faith in Jesus Christ. Just humble yourself and ask God for mercy and he will save you and he will bless you. Christian, stop acting like you're doing God a favor. Because you're providing your expertise to him in every area of life. You know, we act like God calls us up on the phone to get our opinion on how things ought to be done. He doesn't need my opinion. Humble yourself. Ask God for grace. Ask him for mercy. Because the kingdom of heaven is the greatest possession that there is. It is the inheritance it is the inheritance to which every believer is called, and it all begins, the kingdom of God all begins with brokenness. It begins with humility. It begins with a recognition that without Jesus Christ, I am nothing and I have nothing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.